0: Hello there and welcome to the Paradox Podcast. Thank you so much to all of our online donors that make this podcast possible. Today we are in the short book of Joel and this teaching is entitled The Day of the Lord. The prophet Joel loved to use a phrase that shows up five times over his three chapters of prophecy. The phrase I'm referring to is the day of the Lord. We find the first reference in Joel chapter 1. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. The second instance is found in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. We read, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is Is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The third reference to the day of the Lord is found in verse 11 of chapter 2. The Lord utters his voice at the head of his army. How vast is his host! Numberless are those who obey his command. Truly, the day of the Lord is great, terrible indeed. Who can endure it? Chapter 2, verse 31 is the fourth instance of this phrase. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 is the fifth and final reference of the day of the Lord in Joel's prophecy. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. So Joel uses the phrase, the day of the Lord, five times within his prophecy, and all five references talk about how terrible, frightening, and overwhelming the day of the Lord will be. But is that really what the day of the Lord is? Or is that a unique perspective that Joel holds? There are other prophets who reference the day of the Lord. One of the prophets is in the very next book after Joel, the prophet Amos. In chapter 1, verse 18 of the New English Translation, Amos says, Woe to those who wish for the day of the Lord. Why do you want the Lord's day of judgment to come? It will bring darkness, not light. A few books after the book of Amos is the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah has more references to the day of the Lord than any other prophet or book in the Bible. Zephaniah in chapter 1 writes, Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his passion, the whole earth shall be consumed. For a full, a terrible end God will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. The day of the Lord, according to Zephaniah, Amos, and Joel, is a day filled with terror. This is reflected here in 2020 by doing a quick Google image search for the day of the Lord. You will find paintings of clouds descending, fireballs coming up out of the ground, falling from the sky, Buildings on fire, buildings collapsing, meteors colliding with the earth, meteors barely missing the earth, they are all frightening experiences that come up as soon as you type in the day of the Lord. Now all of this darkness, destruction, terror, frightening things that come out whenever we talk about the day of the Lord is genuinely surprising to me. And the reason it's surprising to me is because if the Lord is love and the Lord has a day, then shouldn't that day be a good day? I mean, I can understand if the day of Satan was a day where the sky fell and buildings lit on fire, but we're talking about the day of the Lord. I would assume that if you type in the day of the Lord, you would not get an image of meteors falling from the sky, but instead be bombarded with a copious amount of pictures of the Care Bears. (laughs) So over this episode, I want us to talk about the Day of the Lord. And there are three questions I want to ask to frame our discussion about the Day of the Lord. The first question, what exactly is the Day of the Lord? The second question, why is the Day of the Lord terrifying? And the third question, Can the day of the Lord bring any kind of hope, peace, happiness, optimism, or joy to our overwhelming collective misery in 2020? Because let's face it, this year sucks, and we can feel ourselves already starting to give up on 2021. Yeah, that's the third question. It's a bit of a mouthful, but I think it's a question we're all asking, right? So let's begin with the first question. What exactly is the day of the Lord? Well, to answer that question, I want to talk to you about earth, And heaven. Now we experience life here on earth filled with death, suffering, heartache, betrayal, murder, horrible things, right? But when we get to heaven, all of those things will cease to be and we will be able to live in uninterrupted peace and harmony. In other words, earth represents the way things are and heaven represents the way things should be. Now, these are important distinctions because these two things, these two places that we are meant to exist are separated by something. And I believe that prophets like Joel, Amos, and Zephaniah would say that the thing that separates us between the way things are and the way things should be is called the day of the Lord. In other words, we are living in the way things are. God shows up and we start to live in the way things should be. Let me give you a practical example of this. Right now, the way things are is that we have islands of trash floating around in our oceans. None of us believe that once we get to heaven, that there will be islands of trash in our oceans of heaven, right? Now, what's interesting about this is that we can actually stop throwing trash into the ocean right now. And let's say we woke up tomorrow and we all decided as a human race that it was entirely unacceptable for us to throw trash into the ocean. And from that day forward, we didn't throw any more trash in the ocean. You know what we'd call that day? We would call it the day of the Lord. The day we started living in the way things should be right here as the way things are. I was recently introduced to a new concept called doom scrolling, which is when you spend too much time on your phone scrolling through endless timelines, right? Now I am guilty of doom scrolling. This is the way things are. I know this is not who I was created to be. I was created to have an active and fun lifestyle. And the day that I put down my phone and get out and enjoy life is the day of the Lord. One last example is the fact that we as a church body have not met since March 7. We have gone weeks and weeks and weeks and months without seeing each other in person. And the way things are right now is that we have an empty church building. The way things should be is that we should be able to see each other again face to face. The day where that finally happens where we go from being a church out there in different pockets to actually seeing each other face to face again, will be called the day of the Lord. So what exactly is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is the moment when the way things should be become the way things are. That's what we'll call the day of the Lord. And I believe that's what the prophets are writing about so long ago. The day of the Lord is the moment when the way things should be become the way things are. Now, that sounds like a good thing, right? When the way things should be become the way things are. Why then is the day of the Lord terrifying? And why do Joel, Amos, and Zephaniah all portray this apocalyptic and horrific day that we should all be frightened of? Now, to answer that question, we have to talk about the Bible. And when we talk about the Bible, we have to constantly remind ourselves, especially if we grew up in the church, that the Bible was written by human beings. The Bible was written by human beings. And the people who compiled the Bible wanted you and they wanted me to remember this. So much so that out of 66 books in the Bible, 30 of them are named after the people who wrote them. Now, if God wrote the Bible, then we wouldn't have books like Ezra, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Instead, we'd have first God, second God, third God, fourth God. And the book of Joel itself would be known as eighth God, right? No, 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 no. Joel wrote the book of Joel, right? Joel was inspired by God, but Joel had his own agenda and ideas, and he also lived through specific events and at specific times. So what happened in Joel's life ultimately informs how he perceived the day of the Lord, specifically when things should be became the way things are. So Joel, as a real human being, lived somewhere around or even in the city of Jerusalem, Sometime in the 4th century BCE is our best guess. Now Joel writes about what he experiences and why it's terrifying in his prophecy. Chapter 1 verse 2 reads this, Hear this, O elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation." What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust is eaten. So Joel begins his prophecy by talking about a swarm of locusts that came in and ate everything. And Jerusalem, in an instant, lost all of its food supply. So you can imagine that if you're living 2,400 years ago and all these locusts show up and eat all of your food, you would shake your fists at the heavens and ask God, why is this happening to us? And while that cry rings out from 2,400 years ago, it is a cry that's being echoed in Kenya and East Africa today in 2020. 2020. Keith Cressman, who is the UN's Food and Agricultural Organization's Senior Locust Forecasting Officer, has said that in Kenya right now, it's the worst outbreak they've had to face in the last 70 years. And right now, East Africans are wondering, as their dwindling food supply is being devoured by locusts, why is this happening to us? Now, what's interesting about 2020 is that we can answer that question. And we can answer that question by renting or downloading the series Planet Earth 2, which has a whole section devoted to why locusts move the way they do and why they eat the food that they do as well. And here are some things that you would learn if you watched Planet Earth 2 about adult locusts. Adult locusts can eat their entire body weight each day. Imagine that. Imagine that you and me could eat as much as we weigh each and every day. That is unfathomable, the ratio of how much a locust can eat. This is why they devour so much so quickly. Now, when food begins to run out, winged adult locusts release pheromones to signal movement. So the other locusts who are eating and have plenty to eat start to sense that the food is running out, so all of the locusts move together in groups. Those groups of locusts begin to merge into larger swarms and swarms always travel with the wind. What this means is the wind is always blowing toward low pressure. So you have this movement that funnels these swarms together and these swarms form plagues. Now plagues comprise of several billion locusts and they cover ground up to 40 miles wide. And so when people in East Africa are asking, why is this locust plague happening to us? The answer is, well, you live in a low-pressure area, and the wind has funneled these swarms together to form a plague, and unfortunately, you're in the wrong spot at the wrong time. But the East Africans are not alone. The United Nations cares very much about this food shortage and is working to remedy the situation. Not only that, but you have remarkably brilliant people like the people just down the road at Esri mapping out where the locusts are and showing where the locusts might head to next. In addition, we have some chemicals that we can spray, some low-impact pesticides that will kill locusts but allow plants to continue to live that Kenyans are currently spraying to help mitigate the plague. So on top of understanding why this is happening, there are real strategies for how to combat these locust plagues that are happening here in 2020. Now let's rewind 2,400 years ago back to the time of Joel when he can't answer the question, why is this happening to us? Joel can't watch planet Earth 2. So Joel doesn't understand that adult locusts eat their entire body weight. And adult locusts release pheromones, and the wind funnels them to low-pressure areas, and that's where plagues come from. Not only that, but there's no maps, there's no United Nations. They all of a sudden have food one day, and the next day that food is gone. We have to recognize that this locust plague is a terrifying experience, and Joel lived through it. Now, it's absolutely essential to understanding what the Bible is. Joel then interpreted that terrifying experience through his theological framework and not the other way around. God didn't show up to Joel and say, hey, Joel, I'm real angry with the people of Jerusalem. I'm going to send a plague of locusts. No, Instead, Joel was living his merry life and then one day the locusts show up and in an instant, Jerusalem lost its food. The only interpretation that Joel could draw on because there is no science in Joel's day is that God is angry with Jerusalem. And there are the way things are and the way things should be And God is unhappy with how Jerusalem has become complacent in the way things are. So God wants to jolt them to move toward the way things should be. In other words, for Joel, God sent the plague of locusts to bring the way things should be into the way things are. Think about what happened a few months ago when the coronavirus first hit. And you and I would go to the grocery stores and see empty shelves, where there normally were shelves full of food. Man, I just remember being terrified. I remember I would look at my shopping list, which didn't have eggs on it, and I would see that the grocery store was running low on eggs, and I all of a sudden felt like I had to buy eggs because they may not be there the next time I showed up at the store. And while nobody talked about this being the day of the Lord or that God was angry with us and that's why our grocery stores were empty, um, there was this real sense among us that maybe we should start to live differently. Maybe we should distribute food differently between us because this current system doesn't seem to work for us when we face a terrifying experience. And when our food supply is endangered, It's a really frightening experience, isn't it? It's a real emotional experience. My mother recently told me a story about a city in Canada, and this city is Wanham in the province of Alberta. Now, I'm going to guess that you've never heard a story about Wanham, Alberta, because today, in 2020, the population of Wanham, Alberta was 124 people. Now, back in the 50s, my great-grandfather, David Weigel, moved to Wanham, Alberta. He actually immigrated from St. Petersburg, Russia to Canada and settled in Wanham, Alberta as a wheat farmer. And every summer, my mother would go up and visit her grandfather Weigel and live on his farm for a couple months at a time. Well, there was one summer in the early 60s that my mom was visiting her grandfather Weigel when all of a sudden there was a terrible... Hailstorm. And overnight, overnight, all of my great grandfather's wheat crop was destroyed by the hail. And my mom remembers seeing her grandfather the next day from St. Petersburg, Russia, and saw him weeping at the fact that all of his food supply and his economic security disappeared in a moment. Oh, It reminds me of the words that Joel writes just a few verses after describing the locusts when he says, be dismayed, you farmers, wail, you vine dressers, over the wheat and the barley, for the crops of the field are ruined. The vine withers, the fig tree droops, pomegranate, palm and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely joy withers away among the people. The second question we are asking is, why is the day of the Lord terrifying? I believe it's because life at times presents us with terrifying realities. And usually it's the most terrifying realities that push us to change and invite things the way they should be into the way things are. Which brings us to the third question we are asking during this sermon. Can the day of the Lord bring any kind of hope, peace, happiness, optimism, or joy to our overwhelming collective misery in 2020? For me, the answer is yes, because all of the anxiety, all of the misery, all of the sadness, all of the economic hardship, and all of the isolation that we are facing in 2020 is the day of the Lord. If Joel was living with us, if Amos was living with us, if Zephaniah was living with us, I believe that they would all describe what we are going through as the day of the Lord. To give you an idea of how this is helpful, I would like for you to think about all the things that we have had to let go. And to understand all that we've had to let go, go back in your phone's photo roll to January 2019 and start looking at all of the pictures of things that you did in 2019 that we cannot do in 2020. I will pick a few highlights from this section because there were lots of pictures of things in 2019 that we don't do in 2020. In January 2019, I took my kids to Disneyland. What... (laughs) Disneyland is closed. Now, Disney World is open, but I would not recommend that you go there. That's a wow. Don't go to Disney World. We don't do this anymore, do we? This seems like forever ago that I went to Disneyland with my kids. In February of 2019, I went to a funeral of a dear friend. Man, I miss the days. When we could go to funerals and the primary thing we had to worry about was how we were going to grieve, not how we were going to hold distance, whether we needed to hug, whether we were staying for food, what kind of utensils would be there. I mean, we've compounded the complexities of a funeral when a funeral was plenty complex as it was just a year ago. I look at a picture in April of 2019 with a baby that I'm holding, her name is Millie, and I dedicated Millie Thomas on Easter weekend. And I gotta say, it's a bummer because one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to dedicate babies. And that sacrament that we participate in together has been taken away. In May of 2019, I went to Gunger's last concert Gungor is one of my favorite bands, and we all crammed in the L Ray Theater in Los Angeles. And I just miss the experience of live music with a crowd. I also came across a picture in May of 2019 of me at a graduation. I mean, <laughs> the car drive-by graduations, all of this stuff is much more complicated and less joyful than what we had before. In June of 2019, I went to a wedding for David and Liz, and it was just a really, really fun wedding to go to. In June, just a few days later, I went to Ad Hoc Restaurant with my wife, and we had a vegan pork chop. It was delicious. Uh, I know some people go out to eat. My wife and I don't, and I must say that we miss it immensely. A few days later, we went and met my cousin's son in the hospital. I mean. I can't imagine going to visit someone in the hospital right now because it's so long ago. In July of 2019, my family and I went to Pride in Redlands. There was a Pride event, and I just didn't think something like this could happen in Redlands, and it was just so much fun to go and be part of a celebration of love in all of its shapes and forms. In August of 2019, I came across a picture of my son and I in front of a train that we rode Um, My son loves riding trains, and we just don't do that anymore. I have a picture in August of my daughter on her first day of kindergarten. This one is really sad to me because um, she loves school, and just this past week, she started homeschool. And she's doing well with it, but, you know, she misses her friends, and she misses being part of a classroom, In October of 2019, I have a picture of me dancing at Maddie and Jordan's wedding, and I'm not like a great dancer, and I'm not somebody who craves dancing, but I'll tell you, just the sheer joy of everybody cutting loose and cutting rugs is something I really miss right now, and just this past week, my wife asked me, what's Halloween going to be like this year? And I came across these pictures of my son dressed up as a dragon last year for Halloween and my daughter dressed up as Princess Jasmine. I just don't know what Halloween's going to be like or if we'll have it at all. And then the last picture is of my daughter's Christmas program at her preschool um, that has kindergarten at it. And she loved performing as part of this preschool And my son was supposed to have his first Christmas program this December with the same preschool, but we're not sure that's going to happen again. And so I look at all of these happy memories and all of the joy that these pictures have brought me, and these memories start to fade away, and I realize that none of this is stuff that can happen here in 2020. But on top of all of the happy memories, there's also the stuff that was a lot more difficult for my wife and I to adjust to. 2019 was one of the busiest years that we ever faced, and it was hard for us to find time to sit down around a table with my kids and my wife and just the four of us, and we could barely make time for it because there was so much going on. And as we look at all that stuff fade into the background of what 2019 was and what 2020 is, I think it's important for us to start talking about what we do going forward. Because now that all of that is gone, what is worth bringing back? Also, what needs to be let go? And lastly, what needs to be created that wasn't there before? And all of these questions are ultimately looking at this terrifying situation that is the pandemic and looking for something better, hoping for something better because of this. And all of these questions are ultimately questions that lead us towards something that we call redemption. Because when we consider that 2020 is the day of the Lord, we must remember that it is an invitation to something greater than we knew before. This is a theme in Joel's prophecy. In chapter 2, verse 12, God says, Yet even now, return to me with all your heart. And so we hear this story about a locust plague devouring Jerusalem's food. And a question arises from the people. Why is this happening to us? And after the question reverberates around into nothingness, there is a pause as Joel begins to say, this plague of locusts is terrifying. But I believe that God can redeem this disaster. Think about the words that start off his prophecy in verse two and three of chapter one. And imagine these words are being written to us in 2020 because I find them to be incredibly timely. Joel writes, hear this, O elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. In other words, what Joel is saying is that, yes, this is terrifying, yes, this is awful, but maybe this is going to inspire us to create something better than we had before. Maybe this will be the moment that we recognize that health care for every person is really important in America right now. And maybe because of this pandemic, we'll say, you know what? We've got to make sure that everyone is taken care of. We can tell our children one day, let me tell you what happened in 2020 and how we became better because of it. Maybe we can become more kind and compassionate and empathetic toward each other because we know everyone right now is suffering and unsure of how to handle all of the stress that we are facing on a daily basis. Could we tell our children one day that when 2020 hit, we realized what was important? We said, you know what, we can let go of these things, but we have to grow more in love because life is much more fragile than we knew before. And the longer this pandemic goes on, the more we must hold up the things that were before and ask questions like, what is worth bringing back? what needs to be let go, and what needs to be created. And maybe we can bring the way things should be into the way things are. And ultimately, rather than being a terrifying experience, 2020 instead can be a joyful experience. To my brothers, my sisters, and my friends, the year 2020 can be redeemed. It can be redeemed by you in the personal choices that you make. It can be redeemed in our communities, our states, in our nation, in the collective decisions that we make. And I believe that 2020 can be redeemed by God. So much so that we can work to bring the things that should be into the way things are. May we see and embrace Jesus Christ in all even the year 2020.